It's Wednesday, November 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker, and from Motley Fool Options, Stock Advisor Canada, Pro Canada, all things Canada, it's Jim Gillies. Howdy. Happy Wednesday, gents. Thank you. We are back from Foolapalooza, and uh, we've, we've got some actual news to talk about. We're going to talk about the latest from Zillow and Groupon. Yes, we will talk about the dumpster fire that is Groupon. Um, let's start, though, with an actual business, and that's CBS. Uh, third quarter profit came in higher than expected. The stock basically flat, up slightly. Uh, Bill, this is one of those... This is one of those quarters that just sort of remind me, like, oh, right, this is a really big company with a lot of moving parts. And so, even though some of the parts are doing really well, eh, you know, anytime you're a diverse business, sometimes that means that your results are going to be weighed down by the less awesome divisions. Yeah. I, I mean, it's been a good business for shareholders for a while. It's in the middle of a kind of mediocre year, perhaps, in terms of. Uh, stock performance down a little bit. Uh, it used to be higher before uh, the summer swoon for the market. But uh, as you note, earnings are in, real business, uh, beat earnings, people are still watching TV. Uh, there are ongoing fears. It, it sort of got dragged down by the Disney announcement that uh, all the cord cutting and, and what sort of adjustments they were making in their projections. Uh, but meanwhile, it's got the Super Bowl this year. People mm-hmm. are watching football more than ever. You uh, guys are having some sort of election, which apparently is good for advertising. That's you guys had an election, right? Well, yeah, but it took 75 days. <laughs> like, I mean, it's 75-day election? We do it in one here. I mean, <laughs> yeah, what, why? It's, why? It's, it's the two that hour, much it's, fun? It's the two-year precursor you I, have. Can you imagine it. a 75-day election in this country? <laughs> oh, my God. It's wonderful. Ugh. I think I think he was referring to the campaign yes, lasting yes. about seventy five days. The actual voting just took place on the one day. It took one day. No, if you do that, your uh, legislature, your government can actually perform work throughout most of the year. I mean, why why do that? We in <laughs> our system, <laughs> we take about a year to speculate about what the election might look like. Uh, and then it goes on for about a year, and then uh, midway through the reports on election night, we start speculating about the next the election next one four, four years, years away, right. and then we ramp up a couple of weeks later to really start looking at the, the four-year away election. That's how we do it here. Sounds much better, Bill. But we but with the actual elections in one day. Okay. So. Well, my my point kind was kind of. I mean, you can you can actually horribly, vote early now, right? I mean, in some states, we, yeah. we got horribly diverted. My my point was, uh, in in election years, CBS and their ilk do do very well because of their advertising. You know, they can charge top dollar for advertising. So, yeah, I think this I, is a real business with don't real cash invest flows. in the the uh, CBC. You're saying. Well, you, well, uh, all Canadians are invested in the CBC, <laughs> <laughs> whether we want to be or not. I think one of the trends to keep an eye on with not just broadcast networks, but television networks in general, is the extent to which they are carving out programming that is exclusively for mm-hmm. online and mobile. Because CBS recently announced uh, they're bringing back Star Trek exactly. in 2017, but it's only going to be available online on the CBS. Yeah. And, and Take that, Netflix. To, well, and HBO just announced a new deal with Jon Stewart that will um, include some programming for the network, but part of the deal Jon Stewart has 
will be creating short form video just for the HBO online and mobile platforms. Mm-hmm. And that's great and all. It's a good way to try to combat the cord cutters or the people who who no longer wish to sit down on Thursday night to watch whatever the favorite programming is at 8 p.m. The problem, it, it this the the salvation is also the problem because you know any reasonably tech savvy individual can fairly quickly find it online about you know what five minutes after it airs for first run. So it's kind thieves, of thieves. You mean thieves? Yes. <laughs> We prefer the term creative accounting, but in Canada, yeah. Well, you you got a less of a <laughs> you know stickler for that sort of thing in Canada. Uh, so I was looking. I think up, people want to pay for things most of the time, or maybe I'm just naive. Which again, Canadian. I was doing research the other night um, to see if there's a difference between Canada and Narnia, and oh. <laughs> because it's as an American, I'm not sure what it might be, but. Apparently, the Narnia is in the public domain in Canada now, like not here. Like if you want to make a film about Narnia in Canada right now, or a TV series, or or whatever, it's in the public domain. You're telling you don't me I to... can I can go write like an eighth Narnia book? Yes, but you can't. No, not legally, unless I go up to Excuse Canada. Excuse me, and write I have it. to go home. <laughs> I'll see I don't think you'll be months. the first one, but I, I didn't know that the public yeah, domain. Laws but you know were what? So Sometimes that that goes poorly, uh, and I would only refer to uh, you've heard of Anne of Green Gables. If we're going to go Canadiana, we're just going to go right off the rails. You've heard of Anne of Green Gables, I, yes. the novel, Techni- the television show. Technically, I wasn't required to read it. Okay, it's very big in Canada and Japan for some reason. Um, so the first couple of television shows were made based on the, on the Lucy Maud Montgomery books. And then there was a third one of dubious authenticity, and then the production company for a fourth one just wrote something, some drivel, and and the, a lot of car chases in that fourth one. It was bizarre, you know. It's that they completely made up a story and they called it End of Green Gables to sell to sell cable advertising, I suppose. But it was it was extremely poorly done. But they could do it because it was in the public domain again. So. Lightsabers, anything like that? <laughs> that would have made it awesome, actually. The Federal Trade Commission is holding a press conference uh, within the hour in Washington, D.C. to announce a major law enforcement initiative involving the debt collection industry uh, and publicly traded companies in that business, like PRA Group and Encore Capital Group, have had a little bit of a roller coaster so far this week. Both of them, Jim, down double digits last uh, yesterday, bouncing back up today. I don't know. I mean, I've said before, when Uncle Sam comes knocking on your door, it's not to give you candy and flowers. And I can't believe that whatever the FTC is about to announce is going to be good news for these companies and their shareholders. Sure. And I am a shareholder, so uh, maybe it won't be good news for me. Um, but here's the thing. It's the reaction. And it started about 2.30 yesterday, I think. I mean, you can just look at the daily chart. It just fell off a cliff. There was no, there was nothing substantive in the announcement. The announcement was literally, "We're going to announce something tomorrow, and it's going to be bad, and and scary monsters and gnashing teeth and stuff like that." So, if you go look at PRA's filings, for example, uh, in the most recent annual report, there are forty-seven references to the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, the CFPB. Okay, and the regulatory oversight that CFPB has over PRA, what they could do 
the material impacts that enforcement action could could visit upon PRA. There are six references to the FTC, four of which are directly tied to the CFPB stuff. Now, why, where this is going down the rabbit hole and why we're going here, in September, I believe, PRA preemptively settled with CFPB. They are paying somewhere on the order of, I believe, $27 million in fines and repaying, um, we'll call it ill-gotten gains, just to be a little bit uh, hyperbolic. And they were ordered to cease collection on $3 million worth of debt. This is a company that's collecting, probably this year, on the order of $1.6 billion. You have to pay back $27 million. They have $85 billion in face value debt domestically. So ignoring all of Europe, they're active in, I believe, 13 or 14 European countries. They're active in Canada. They're active in Brazil. $85 billion in face value debt just in America. And they were told to stop collecting on $3 million worth. That's, a, what, 0.004%? This is, this, there's literally a rounding error. And so if, if that is the type of enforcement action that the FTC is going to visit upon PRA, while I expect the stock to get waffled, and again, we're going to see the press release, I think, starts in about half an hour, and so I'm hoping to listen to it. Um, but that is, I mean, what's, what's the phrase? Uh, sound and fury signifying nothing? Like, uh, it, they'll get past it. And, and moreover, and, and the CEO himself, and, and, and actually Tom Gardner, our CEO and co-founder, just, just interviewed him down in... Um, down in Miami earlier this month. And uh, basically, Steve Fredrickson, who's the CEO of PRA Group, said, what the increased regulatory oversight has done to our industry, it has basically consolidated the industry in the five or six professional good players. And they have long held themselves up as one of those good players. Now, maybe they've been lying for the past you know, decade and a half, uh, but everything certainly I've seen come out of the company and their practices and what have you says they've not been lying and they've been actually running this. So, you know, this too shall pass, basically. To, to the extent that we still have listeners, because... <laughs> I'm there, sorry. Let's it, go back it to It may Green surprise Gables. you, but there are some who aren't as interested in the, the intricacies of PRA's know, business model as you have been, and, and, and profitably so. And so, my question to you is, where do you rank investing in debt collectors on the scale of, say... Evil? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if uh, tobacco is, uh, let's say, tobacco is a nine, where 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 do debt collectors come? Well, what's at the other end? Give at me the a other one. End? Give me a one, or give me a ten. Uh, uh, the even more evil than tobacco purveyors. Sure, Chris, you got anything? Because I'd put tobacco at the total nine, frauds. Total okay. frauds. Total frauds would be, would be, 10, would be a ten. Tobacco, tobacco would be Tobacco is number nine. Yeah, Enron. Enron is a okay. 10. Okay, and what's a one? Uh, what is a one? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out. Disney, but uh, and then you can correct me as well, to again, why I, that is not. I'm like the one who thinks the given most, how they own you know, childhood is, you know, I think that's kind of evil myself. Um, I actually put this, you know, a four or a three. It's not evil at all. Should people pay back their debts? I think we all agree. If you borrow money, you should probably pay it back. Uh, that sounds like sort of some sort of Canadian I know. socialist. How <laughs> socialist can you get? Uh, no, like if you if you if you borrow Donald, money, if Donald Trump has taught us one thing in this election, it's that you need to use the laws to your advantage so that you sure. don't have to pay your own bills. That's and that's how that bill. is how America is going to return to greatness. That is appalling. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think we I think we we should repay our bills. And most in most occasions, they, they, they contact 
probably about 1% of the people who owe them money in any given month. There's no, for them, there's no incentive to going after someone and threatening and cajoling. You know, you, they are a big data analytics model, and that's how the industry has evolved from the, you know, break their kneecaps kind of model. Do you, know, you think there's anybody ago. that they employ that they don't want to fully know what they're up to? Uh, I think that would apply to... I think a lot of big companies say that. (laughs) I think that would apply to pretty much every company going. I think the Motley Fool doesn't want to know what you're doing most of the time. Do they have more of them? "Eh, You're you're bringing in the bills. That's all we we really needed. Uh, I think uh, what was really interesting is they talked about they they have... uh, All of their collectors have a certain amount of incentive comp. So, you know, that would... Okay, the incentive, you know, in the Munger, get your incentives right. The incentive comp, you know, the more money you bring in, you have higher incentive. But they have a whole compliance book that you have to follow because it's a very heavily regulated industry already, even regardless of what the FTC announces today. It's already a highly regulated industry. And the company's policy is if you bring in lots of money, but you violate our compliance by like our compliance requirements at all, you don't get your bonus. And it goes into a pool for but it doesn't go back to the company. It goes into a pool for all of the other collectors who are adhering to compliance. And it gets divvied up among them. I'm going to go off topic again. Most so. most heroic debt collector <laughs> in in uh, modern American fiction. Uh, I'm going to go with Rocky Balboa. Rocky Balboa, yeah. exactly. In well the, done in the original Rocky. <laughs> I mean, that's that's yes, what Rocky. Yeah. You know, he boxed okay. on the side, but I'm, then that was his. That was that's how he paid the bills. I've never seen the original Rocky. What? Oh I know. Oh I know. My. <laughs> Have you seen any of the others? Uh, I inadvertently saw Rocky Four. See, there's your mistake. I mean, you, you should just you, watch Rocky. Rocky's a, a solid. I think it won the, the Academy original Award. Rocky actually won a bunch of Academy yep. Awards. Yep. Um, I've never seen. The original we've Rocky. we've totally lost all of our yeah. listeners. So let's plow ahead with Zillow's third quarter. Uh, what am I missing here? Revenue was higher than expected. They reported a profit when a loss was expected. This stock down around six percent. This, this, you know, I get that Zillow has had a rocky go of it, roughly in 2015. But what, what's happening here? Um, you say they reported a profit. They have, they have my all-time favorite. I think, at least right for now. Is it profit in air quotes? It is. They are now calling what they're reporting pro forma Uh-oh. adjusted EBITDA. So it's a non-gap measure in and of itself in EBITDA, but it's adjusted. Oh, and it's pro forma. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of accounting ledger <laughs> domain know. going on over there, and I think that is in part what the it's 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 nothing new. Uh, they've they've been reporting these types of adjusted numbers, and perhaps they help investors compare one thing to another, or at least it it, it corrals the way they want investors to look at how well, the numbers. And are that's moving. exactly right. They are they are framing how they want investors to look at them. The actual, if you're applying fairly strict earnings and cash flow multiples, well, there is none. So, so much for your multiples. Sure, but it's a growing business. It's a, it, there's it, a well, real business. There's there. a real this business. This is not. We're 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 not. Uh, we're going to get into less real businesses, <laughs> I, I believe, along the way, before we close today. And Zillow is in in the the real side of the ledger. And yeah, it's still young and growing, and and they've got. By the way, the pro forma in the case where you have made an acquisition the size of which they have yeah, made, tr- the Trulia, yeah. it, this this is an appropriate thing to do uh, to show what 
the entire company how it is lined up today with how it would have looked mm -hmm. uh, a, a year ago. So it, it is true that you you can only stretch the the pretend metrics so far before they break. But the pro forma part is is legitimate. Yeah. This but quarter. as to why it's down, Chris, I mean, uh, who knows why the market's down on anything in any any one day? Uh, long term, Bill's right. This is a real business. It's a dominant business in their niche, uh, but the uh, if you if, when you don't have the solid cash or earnings underlying, when you are relying on the adjusted metrics or the pro forma metrics or the framing metrics, you can't be surprised. And I don't think for one moment that the management of Zillow is surprised. I don't. I, I think they're more longer term thinking. Certainly, when we've done uh, interviews with them, I believe at the Seattle event. Uh, her name escapes me at the moment. Amy Batinsky. Yes, yes. Um, now the chief operating officer. Very yeah, impressive. Know, I mean, it's it. Yes, and it's it is a real business, and they know what they're doing. So, but you know, the day to day stock price moves. You know, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> well, seriously. I mean, who cares if 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 anyone is investing in Zillow for today's return? Uh, hopefully, you're learning a lesson you can learn no other you're way. You're thinking about it the wrong right. way, right? I mean, like you know, if, if you buy some shares, put them away for five years. Let's do the five-year metric and how they're how they're working when you know the two largest platforms are now one. Do they do they do Canada? Uh, this is not one of those you know faux ignorance about Canada questions. I I don't think they do, and I kind of wish they were because I'm in the market for a new house right you now. Do, so you'd like to know what your I, house I, is worth according to uh, at I, least I, one I, popular. I've, way. I've already had a couple of people come through and tell me what my house is worth, and you know they both promised me top dollar if I sign with them as their agent. And I'm like, oh. you know, it's nice to have a neutral, you know, uh, arbiter of these things. Uh, and and Zillow, I think, is a very valuable. Resource or mm -hmm. a certain amount of research. It certainly doesn't give you what you're actually going to be able to buy or sell a house for because that's a market dynamic that uh, it can't be captured by an algorithm completely. But it is a, a neutral party rather than mm -hmm. interested party, uh, which is what you get when you're sizing up uh, realtors. Third quarter revenue for Groupon came in low. Their guidance for the fourth quarter was bad, and the CEO was dumped. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the <laughs> that play? was the play? Uh, just an absolutely malodorous report. I mean, it just was, and and the deal that the new CEO is getting to come in to fix this business is, I don't know, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, he's he's getting grossly overpaid for a business that's failing, and. Okay, and 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 they're reliant. Well, he's an insider, right? Well, sure. So why shouldn't they overpay somebody they already know? Well, like? I mean, you know, they're overpaying using. I guess where I guess where I get a little annoyed by it is this is a business that's failing, and yet if you are a shareholder, and I don't think anyone in in this room, or maybe even listening to this podcast, is a shareholder. I bet somebody listening. Yeah, maybe to the podcast, you know. So I mean, they're not happy we, today. Yeah, why uh, we have to be thirty percent. Um, and they're just hosing out equity awards, hosing out cash that could be better spent within the business. They want you to focus once again, like Zillow. They seem to be really wanting you to focus on the measures that make them look good right now. So they're looking at twelve-month cash flow. Uh, forget about the fact that the nine-month year-to-date cash flow is nothing to write home about. That they are failing in terms of uh, their growth initiatives. And you know, I think when the next quarter gets reported, the December quarter. You're going to see the cash flow will probably, and I'm a cash nerd, so uh, cash will, will probably be down year over year, and kind of go, oh. Well, and that's one of the things that should terrify anyone looking at this stock down thirty percent today and saying, "Gosh, maybe you know, 
it almost can't go any lower. It's trading for below three dollars a share. Well, it can go to zero. Maybe, yeah, yeah. but maybe it could but, still lose a hundred percent from yes. here. It, it, it can, but I'm sure there are some people saying, "Well, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe this new CEO, Rich Williams, who was chief operating officer, now he gets the the big title." But one of the things he was talking about this morning was about how they need to start investing more money. And if you yeah. if you're looking if you're kicking the tires on this company, here's what you don't want to hear. You know what our problem is? We're just not spending enough money. Yeah, I I agree. I think that that is part of it. Uh, if that is the solution, I think it is a scary one for a business that has enough questions about it and about its viability. That uh, you know, making sure that you hit the look. All the growth investors are gone, right? So. You True. may as well position yourself for the value investors if you want to position a business plan around stock ownership. I'm not sure that they should, but don't worry about whether you're going to impress those that want to see the kind of explosive growth that once was thought to be available to this business. It's it's just not. They need to get back to get to a point where people but trust them i think more and um sure but you you've 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 now promoted to the top chair the number 2 guy who got them to this point like you know like we got here we we have this disaster and we're promoting one of the guys who was steering the yeah, ship it doesn't feel like much of a turnaround it do- and i'm like oh like what are you going to do Anyway, sorry. That's pessimistic. <laughs> uh, before we wrap up, as I mentioned at the top, we, we are back from Fulapalooza. We had a great two-day meeting in Cambridge, Maryland, and I wanted to thank a few of our listeners who sent in videos uh, because our video team uh, cut them together into one phenomenal video uh, from our members. So, special thanks to Ryan McCauley and his son, Austin. Tim Dowling, Gabriel Allison, Matt Maurer, Leslie Walsh, Aaron Yardley, Kirk Whitney, Shiraz Sedeno, Lauren Todd, Killian Metcalf, Greg Fontana, Jay Melton, Patrick Urkel, Roger Kaiser, and last but not least, Tobin Anthony. Uh, it was really great. Um, one of the things that happened at our annual meeting was throughout the two days, some of our analysts got up and uh, did a stock pitch for one of the recommended stocks in our stock advisor universe. Uh, there were a lot of good pitches, some more memorable than others. Uh, Jim Mueller gave a pitch for Sherwin-Williams, the paint company, and I told him afterwards that because of his... And, and Jim's a very smart guy and went into a lot of smart reasons why he believes this is a great company uh, and, and uh, a stock worth checking out, definitely worth putting on your watch list. But I told him afterwards that all of the attributes that he laid out for me completely went out the window, and all I could focus on was the fact that Sherwin-Williams, the corporate logo of that company, this is a paint company, and the logo is a bucket of red Sherwin-Williams paint being dumped over the planet. With which I don't know if you got this, and it includes the words, cover the world. And I just thought, you know what? I could see how maybe in the 1960s, I'm just guessing, I don't know when they came out, but whenever they came out with that logo, uh, that, that, that probably worked fine. I feel like in 2015, when there's just a slightly higher level of consciousness about the environment and being environmentally friendly, maybe you don't want your corporate logo to be 
literally no. dumping a bucket of paint over the planet. Well, it, no it, one's saying it's lead-based paint. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you are. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I am. Because whatever <laughs> because they Because originally it was. It probably it, was. It, it looks like an alien invasion. It's just, it's appalling. <laughs> Do you think anyone at that company has run that up the flagpole and said, hey, look, maybe let's do a little refresh. I'm not saying we spend a ton of money on rebranding, but let's just get... And by the way, they're a paint company. They've got every color in the palette available to them. And, and maybe, probably a few designers contact yeah, Maybe they want to go with more colors than just three, which are red, blue, and black. All right, what, do you, what do you think about this one? This is a little quick internet search and that's a, a color your world is a, a chain in canada a paint chain in canada proffered yeah. uh, this is a little internet research from uh, fastco design which which actually asked its readers what company logo needed th- revamping the most and sherwin williams was, <laughs> was the top. readers was number one on the was list number one on the list and and so there are some uh Attempts taken uh, at, at improving it. And you think about you think back a couple of months when Google rebranded, did the reincorporation, and it, and now it's Alphabet and it's this holding company. And part of that was that they tweaked the Google logo, just the the basic Google logo. And based on the reaction from Twitter, there were certainly more than a few people who absolutely freaked out at that. And that's like this is Google making a minor tweak to their logo. Can we get just a little bit more outrage going about Sherman Williams and why they haven't? Yet? Well, you want what you want. Yeah. You're asking your listenership for is is worse logos than Sherwin Williams because you're not saying that you've studied this issue. I haven't studied. You're this just issue. this is more of a, but, like uh, a, an immediate reaction. My immediate reaction is if there is a worse logo, top it, top it. Yeah, marketfoolery at fool dot com. <laughs> yes, drop us an email. Tweet it Marketfoolery at fool.com. Or you can and if tweet, it's not worse than Sherwin Williams, don't bother, you're saying. I, I'm saying that. You don't want to see something <laughs> that is obviously not as bad as Sherwin Williams. I'm saying. Your time's too valuable. Look at the Sherwin Williams logo and just know that's where the bar is set right now. So if you feel like, oh, here's this. Co-, and we've got listeners around the world. I'm sure there are plenty of companies. What do they get if they win? I mean, just like a little thanks for sending us some info kind of uh, thing? You Is that what? all you got? We'll come up with some swag. We'll swag. Come up, we'll come up with a top three. We'll come up with some swag that we'll send out. So, yeah, marketfoolery@fool.com. Like a T-shirt? A hat? We don't have T-shirts. <laughs> well, the company does. Uh, not really. MFAM does. I can spot you a few. Really? Yeah. A Motley Fool Funds T-shirt? Yeah. Wow. Now, Okay, now, now people are interested. MFAM. Motley Fool Asset Management. Motley Fool Asset yeah. Management. Yeah, it might be actually wearing Brian today. Hinman's wearing one today, so you might be getting Brian oh, Hinman's t-shirt. It's Motley t-shirt. Fool Funds. I'm wearing one today. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're getting Bill Barker's it's a, it's sweat-soaked rather, t-shirt. It's a nice shade of blue, but I'd say it's a pretty solid shirt. Before we wrap up, any-, any <laughs> I'm not sending you mine. I mean, don't live in fear of that. Yeah, I was going to say, nobody wants that. No. Nobody wants that. Um, before we wrap up, any, anything from the stock pitches stand out to you, either on the- Plus side or the minus side? Substance you're looking for? No, not uh, substance. Because you weren't, <laughs> you weren't opening with that. I wasn't opening with substance. No, it was it was a, it, Jim made a compelling pitch for Sherwin Williams. I'm just saying the logo just was all I could focus on afterwards. Two things for me. Um, the first being that Jason Moser tried to sneak through a pitch for a company that's already been acquired and you can't buy. <laughs> yeah, that was odd. Jason, um, Jason made a pitch for Zoom. Zoom, but it's being acquired or it has been acquired by PayPal, and yep. so it was an indirect pitch for PayPal, which, okay, good. Uh, I thought Andrew Fredrickson's was the most interesting one. Uh, he was pitching Roper, Roper Industries, Roper Technologies. It's a, apparently a fairly recent uh, stock advisor pick. 
Um, I have not looked at the company before, but it was enough to pique my interest, and so I'm looking forward to digging into that one, actually. You're adding it to your watch list. I am, absolutely. All right. Bill? I, I thought Jim's pitch on Sherwin-Williams was good. I was, unlike yourself, I was not completely distracted by this logo <laughs> fiasco, uh, and, and I thought the substance. And, and for listeners that are interested in the company, it's, it's been a good one. Bill Barker, Jim Gillies, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, no buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.